Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to smash follow, like, subscribe, whatever button appears on your podcasting platform of choice on the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. It'll keep you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Tonight's episode is brought to you by the great folks at Built Bar, an affordable, great-tasting alternative to your usual protein bar doldrums. Built Bars are soft, tasty, sweet, and chewy. And if you've never placed an order at BuiltBar.com, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. From now until May 31st, also enjoy an extra $5 off for the Memorial Day weekend sale. On tonight's episode, we're going to be doing an NHL redraft of 2015 from Winnipeg's perspective, which we've done, I think, a couple of drafts already. We've gone through 2013, 2014, and now we're on to 2015, which 2015 is quite honestly an absolutely stacked nuts draft in retrospect, especially when you consider some of the talent that was available on the board, uh, you know, throughout the entire draft and in and, and the deeper rounds. So let's start off with the first round pick. At 17th overall, Winnipeg selected Kyle Connor. The Kyle Connor pick here is is a little bit difficult to decide because I think that Kyle is obviously one of the best offensive wingers in the NHL. What he can do with the stick and the puck is truly sensational. We know that he has an absolutely predatory release, he has amazing one-on-one matchup skills, and he has an unbelievable engine to get up and down the ice, even if he doesn't use it for the defensive side of things. But you know... As as great as Kyle Connor is, there is actually somebody who would have been available after him and was taken much later in this draft, relatively speaking, about 15 spots or so afterwards. Actually, more like 10. Uh, and this guy, I, I feel like if he's on the board, there's just no question as to who you take. And that player is center Sebastian Ajo. You know, as good as Connor is, and he is a phenomenal attacking player, he does have notable deficiencies in his game, and somebody like Ajo really doesn't. Sebastian is one of the most terrifying offensive forces in the NHL, and the ability for him to set up his teammates and score individually is just, it's, it's magnificent. Winnipeg with, uh, with you know, Sebastian Ajo instead of Kyle Connor basically would have had two Mark Shifleys in their top six. Sebastian is very skilled at getting into really dangerous areas of the ice and setting up both himself and his linemates for perfect scoring opportunities. He's a really gifted player, and I I can't believe that he actually went in the second round to Carolina, which Carolina, if you've noticed a couple of times, has popped up in this draft uh, recap because Carolina scouting is pretty good. All that said, I don't think that you can be too upset getting Kyle Connor at 17th overall. I mean, this guy has been one of the most consistent goal scorers for the Jets in a long time. While he does, you know, drive me insane sometimes with his defensive plays and occasionally his lack of setup in the offensive zone. I really don't think that there's anything else to dispute the fact that he really is one of the NHL's most potent offensive forces. If he could round out his game, I mean, it it just would have made so much of a difference. But as it is, he's a very good player and I feel like, you know, you can't really be too upset if you had a choice between him and somebody like Ajo. Winnipeg had another first-round pick at 25th overall, and this one is actually a bit harder of a decision because Winnipeg has a choice between Jack Roslovic and quite a few other talents. I actually quite like Roslovic's game. Uh, There are some things that he does that I'm not as fond of, but on the whole, I think that he's a very talented NHLer and somebody who could eventually become like Winnipeg's replacement for maybe Matthew Perot kind of style of player. That said, again, I think you have to kind of look at the names available on the board, and and somebody who stands out, potentially, uh, there are a couple of names that I could see here, and I think the first name that would stand out is Rope Hintz. 
Hintz is an excellent finish forward. Again, somebody who I think Winnipeg would have loved to have had yet another uh, finish connection early on before they got Line. Uh, I think he actually has played center for Dallas, and Hintz is very good. He doesn't always get the ice time that he deserves, but as far as offensive centers who can drive play, he's excellent. He's a great player and somebody that Dallas is very keen on being their second-line center. The Jets also had a a shot at somebody like um, Jordan Greenway, who really kind of fits Winnipeg's mold of player, and Greenway is a big, really tall, very powerful defensive winger who actually has a decent amount of scoring upside. He's not really a prolific offensive force in the sense that he doesn't put up a lot of uh, counting metrics, but I think his total impact on the ice is so good, you really can't pass him up if he's there. On the defender side of things, Winnipeg could have also opted for somebody like Travis Dermott or Rasmus Anderson, and between the two, I'd probably lean towards Anderson. I think Anderson has a better overall impact, and I feel like he's just a really talented, really skilled two-way defenseman who also is not afraid to jump in and attack on the offensive side of things. There were so many choices here for who you could choose at 25th overall, but based on, I think, organizational need and potential upside, I would probably go with Rope Hints. I, I think Hints is a little bit better in some respects than Roslovic is, at least at the current stage of his career. Roslovic, though, you know, he's one of those guys that if he ends up hitting his ceiling, he's going to be a phenomenal top six forward. I'm just not sure where he gets that with the Jets. Uh, you know, thus far, I think that he's been very interesting as far as... Um, some of the stuff that he shows us as an offensive winger. But, you know, he was drafted, I think, to be uh, more like a center for the Jets, and he really hasn't had a chance to do that yet. If he's able to sort out his two-way defensive game, he could actually be a very good center for the Jets, and he's somebody that I would be curious to know if he can can do that, you know, more consistently. The guy who is going to be our next topic of draft discussion in the second round actually has been playing on the line with Roslovic in recent times, and that line was very good with Roslovic anchoring the middle. It's kind of weird that Roslovic has really struggled as a center when he's been given higher-end teammates or other players, but when he's placed with his AHL line mates, he doesn't seem to have any of the issues that he did before, although sometimes his reads still are a little late and maybe not as good at center as he would like them to be. It's just kind of crazy how much talent there was sitting in the second round, and even in the first round, there were quite a few jokes about some of the players that teams like Boston passed up on. Kyle O'Connor, if he was sitting on the board um, at this at this point of the draft, I mean, it's kind of crazy that at 17th, he's sitting there, and then right after him are guys like Thomas Shabbat, Ilya Samsonov, Brock Besser, Travis Konechny, and then Jack Rostovic. These are guys that I think Boston easily could have taken over, Sinitian, DeBrusque and Zaboral, not to mention a little guy named Matt Barzal. And of course, Connor is often included in that internet meme along with Oliver Shillington, who we might talk about a little bit later. Before getting into the second round, though, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Built Bar. Built Bar's protein bars are very different than the dry, desiccated husks of protein bars you're probably used to. I I know myself, I've had plenty of different brands, and usually they're all kind of the same. They have this kind of dry, unappealing interior that just makes you want to throw it out rather than finish it. But Built Bar has your back with something a little bit different. They're 
Protein bars are more like candy bars. They have a nice dark chocolate exterior, and the interior is soft and chewy. If you've never had any of their flavors, I'd be sure to recommend a couple of different ones, including the mint chocolate, which is delicious, and my personal favorite, which is the raspberry chocolate. And I'm somebody who's not usually fond of like artificial fruit flavors, but this one, it's really good. What's even more surprising is that Built Bar has not compromised on the nutritional value. Most of these are well under 150 calories. Some of them are even as low as 110 to 120 calories, with maybe 5 or less grams of fat and around 30% of your daily protein intake. If you're trying to be carb and calorie conscious while balancing your protein intake, this is about as good as you're going to get. And Built Bar even has around 8 nut-free options if you're looking for something that doesn't affect your allergies. If you've never purchased from Built Bar before, be sure to head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Between now and the end of the month, you can also save an additional $5 off on top of your existing $10 first order promo code just by ordering. Don't hesitate, head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off, plus an additional $5 off your first order. Winnipeg is now in the second round of the 2015 draft, and thus far the Jets have had a chance to bring in Kyle Connor and Jack Roslevic. But in this alternate future, Winnipeg actually selected a guy named Sebastian Ajo and Rosmus Anderson. In the second round, Winnipeg got Janssen Harkins at 47 overall, and though Janssen really hasn't spent much time in the NHL, I think that he has already proven himself to be a nearly indispensable part of this Middlesex unit. He's somebody that I've grown to be very high on after kind of disappearing in Winnipeg's system for a number of seasons. That said, he's been really putting on a clinic for the Jets after having an amazing season in the AHL. While he is a fantastic player, and I think Winnipeg got a ton of great value out of that second-round pick, there is somebody who might be able to make the cut a little bit sooner and has a higher upside, and that player is Tampa Bay Lightning prospect, now-turned-regular NHLer, Anthony Sorelli. This dude is one of those centers who, I mean, he just keeps putting out no matter what you do with him. I mean, he's a great bottom-six player, an elite third-liner. He can play in your top six and not really look out of place, and he's been a very productive NHLer over his entire career. He's the kind of guy that kind of fits a more higher-end scoring Andrew Kopp type of player, although Sorelli has a much more profound impact on actually getting on the score sheet and probably a bit more prolific on the offensive side of things. This one is tough because I think Harkins actually has the ability to be somebody on that level of, of a Sorelli, maybe even a little bit more because of his style of play, uh, although probably more on the defensive side rather than the score sheet. I just, you know, knowing all that we know about Sorelli and what his game is, I have a hard time looking at that pick and thinking that that's not who you take in the second round at 47th overall. There are a lot of good players who would still be on the board, and I think Rope Hintz is there, Jordan Greenway is there, and actually I think I misspoke. I think I selected Rope Hintz at the uh, the second first round pick at 25th overall. So you, you still have maybe another guy like Rosmus Anderson there. That was, I think, my other pick that I would have taken. I mean, this draft is just flush with talent, and, and uh, you know, I obviously passed up on Travis Dermott, although I think at that point he would definitely be taken because he was going to Toronto at that point. So you could still get, you know, another look at Jakob Trenin, but ultimately I think if you have Sorelli on the board, he's somebody that you absolutely go for, especially at 47th overall. Winnipeg might have had a fringe second-line center there, uh, you know, not somebody on the level of a Sebastian Ajo or, you know, even a, a Kyle Connor or anything, but somebody who is still very good at what he does and brings a lot of organizational value, especially as a pick outside the first round. Even in the first round pick, he would have been excellent value. I had a debate on Twitter the other day with somebody from Buffalo who is a Sabres fan and was thinking that, you know, would you trade the seventh overall pick this year for a, a player like Sorelli? 
That's a very good question. I think that obviously seventh picks are are not always high-end NHLers, even though they have a good chance to be this season. Sorelli is legitimately that good, though, and I think it's a much harder question than people might imagine it to be. I, I still kind of lean on the fact that you want maybe a little bit more than just Sorelli, but you know Anthony is obviously very good at what he does, and at seventh overall, if you trade a pick like that for him, that's not bad. I can't believe he was actually a third-round pick at 72 overall. In that same round, Winnipeg had another pick, uh, this one at 78th overall, just a few picks after Sorelli, and they chose Eric Foley, who's actually not with the team anymore. There are a lot of choices over somebody like Eric Foley that the Jets could have had a look at. I think I'm actually kind of interested in either Connor Garland or Dennis Malgin. Um, Gar- Garland might actually be the safer choice here just because Garland is a more pure goal scorer, but I actually really like Malgin's game. I know that Dennis is kind of disappointed in some respects for his team over the past couple of seasons, and now he's, I think, with Toronto, if I recall correctly, but I was somebody who was very interested in the way that um, Malgin is able to sort of captain your middle six unit with great efficiency. When he wasn't struggling and getting buried with the Florida Panthers, Malgin was a very productive two-way forward who could create some offensive spark and have a, a nice defensive impact. I don't know if, you know, there's a better option than him here. Maybe Matthew Joseph gets a look. I, I still think that either he or Connor Garland have to be the choice there. You could also argue that maybe Dominic Simone or somebody like Ethan Bear should get a look. I'm not quite as high on Ethan as I am on some of the other players available, but he would not be a bad pick at all. There's also kind of an outside shot at somebody like Adam Gaudet. Gaudet and Troy Terry are both there still. And I think those two American centers from college actually kind of fit Winnipeg's tendency to draft a lot of these American prospects out of the uh, NCAA system and really scout some of their USHL and NAHL teams as well. Still, for some reason, I just feel like I really like Malgin a lot, and it's it's sort of irrational, but I would not have been upset if he had been taken and, and chosen there, although his career production is not quite as great as it could be. It's really a shame because he was somebody that I always thought was fun to watch, and he just hasn't really had a chance to put on as much of a clinic as you'd hope. With the last pick, I opted for like a Dennis Malgin player, but Winnipeg at 108 overall picked up Michael Spachek, and even though Spachek hasn't actually panned out, he was a pretty good prospect. That said, the Jets have a number of options here on the board that they could choose, and I think that this is where you start to talk about some of the guys I was just mentioning, including Matthew Joseph, Connor Garland, and Ethan Bear. Garland is probably going to be my choice here. I think that Connor has a lot of offensive upside, and he just seems to be a pure goal scorer, which is something that in the NHL always brings a lot of value, especially in trade discussions. He was kind of a, a slowly marinating prospect that's taken a few seasons to really find his stride within the Arizona Coyotes organization, but once he did, he's been very effective. In around 115 games of NHL action, he's already amassed 57 points, and 35 of those are goals, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. This season has been more of a coming out party for him, even though he was starting to show some of these early signs of being a high-end goal scorer last season. This year, though, he's just been on another level, and I feel like Arizona has to be thrilled with getting him at 5th round, 123rd overall, for that kind of value. You could also really convince me that Ethan Bear is worth a shout here. I think that Bear is a very offensively gifted two-way defenseman who maybe is still working on the defensive side of things. He is a really fun skater, and he does have a nice shot and good offensive instincts. I'm just not sure if I can turn away a guy like Connor Garland, who brings so much offensive value to you know a line that maybe has a play-driving center. 
Joseph's actually not a bad argument either, but I, I kind of like Garland's pure goal-scoring instincts on a team like the Jets, who have a lot of playmakers that they can essentially just feed their goal-scoring uh, options like Garland. Having another poacher and a guy who actually has decent skating to get himself in good positions will really help you with options on your power play, which Winnipeg always loves having when you know Patrick Line is being marked out. Getting a bit deeper, we're now into round six, and Winnipeg at 168th overall picked up Mason Appleton. I'm actually not sure if there's another player that I would have taken after this because I think uh, given what we know about uh, Appleton's productivity and his work ethic and ability to get into tight spaces and just be a generally effective defensive forward, you know, I think that that's a pretty safe pick. Very few of the other prospects after him were actually of any particular value and Winnipeg got one of the only other guys I would have been interested in and this one was Sami Niku. So I think if you stick with that pick, you're going to be pretty okay with that. In the back stretch of this draft, you have uh, Sami Niku at 198th overall, and at 203rd overall, Matteo Gennaro. And really, I don't think that there's anything to say that the Jets picked the wrong players here. I think that especially a guy like Sami Niku is concerned, Winnipeg has to be thrilled with that prospect. It is a little bit of a shame that Sami hasn't been able to acclimate or be given a chance to acclimate at this level of hockey as much as he should be, because I think that Given where Winnipeg's defense is right now, he actually brings a very needed skill set, and that's transitioning play and being a puck-moving defenseman. It sounds a bit trite, but just being able to carry the puck out of the defensive zone is something that the Jets really don't have enough of, and Niku immediately fills a void for that particular role. The Gennaro pick I don't really have any particular feelings about because there was basically no one after him of, of any note that they ended up having a chance to draft. So if you pick Gennaro, that's fine. Gennaro was a productive player for Prince Albert, but beyond that, I don't think anyone else is going to beat him out. Looking back on this draft, it is interesting to note some of the deeper 6th and 7th round picks. I, I noticed that Columbus at 189th overall picked up Marcus Nutivara. Nutivara is another really good two-way defenseman, somebody who I think probably went pretty under the radar to go this deep in the draft. I'm not sure how heavily Liga was being scouted for defensemen at this time, but it's clear that in the 7th round, Nutivara and Niku both went. In the sixth round, you also got a really interesting player uh, being drafted by Edmonton who did not end up going to Edmonton, and that guy is John Marino. Marino basically was an unknown until this season when he basically exploded onto the scene and became one of Pittsburgh's most effective defensemen. If the Jets were to skip over somebody like Connor Garland, which in my opinion I still think they would have made the right choice picking him in that fourth round option over Michael Spachek, you know, I, I think that they would have been very pleased if they'd picked up Marino and he'd actually signed there. That said, Marino is always one of those risky picks because I think he ended up going to college and there's no guarantee that he would come to a place like Winnipeg. The same could be said for somebody like Troy Terry or Adam Gaudet, but those guys did go, one, you know, one of them is in Anaheim and the other is with Vancouver, so it's always an option that these guys actually commit to the teams that they were drafted by and still stay faithful. Really, though, the biggest change if the Jets had redone this entire draft would be to walk away with Sebastian Ajo, man. I mean, that that would have, again, changed the course of this franchise entirely, and Winnipeg might have been on the path to a cup now rather than later. I think what you're seeing with some of these drafts is that Winnipeg, you know, barring a couple of notable drafts, they, they got some really interesting players and good players, but there were so many interesting names that were on the board that could have pushed them that much further and really stacked them even more than they already are. Some of those players I also think would have put the Jets in a much better long-term position because right now Winnipeg's kind of on the cusp of being competitive, but also really on, on the verge of having a serious issue roster-wise. 
the Jets always seem to be teetering on need of some kind of a rebuild. And right now the Jets are again in that hinterland of, of having a lot of talent, but really defensively struggling because that back end is so vacant. It's funny because I think in this draft, there are actually a ton of amazingly talented defensemen, but the best value picks would have been to take the scoring forwards that were available at the positions that the Jets were drafting. I think it will always be more of a comedy skit because of the fact that Boston had three back-to-back picks in the first round and kind of whiffed on almost all of them. As good as DeBrusque is, he really can't cover for the fact that Jakob Zaborl and Zach Sinitian really aren't high-end NHLers when you compare to guys like Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat, even Jack Rosovic, and, and any of those other players. That's a wrap on our 2015 NHL redraft for the Jets. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Our next one will tackle 2016, and we're starting to get to some of the more contentious uh, modern and contemporary drafts for the Jets, so stay tuned, and I hope you guys enjoy the series. Be sure to uh, check out our Locked On NHL National Show before you log off tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy your Memorial Day break tomorrow, and have a great night. Go Jets go!